Yeah, out of all of the adaptations, the 99 with Patrick Stewart and um, the 84 with George C. Scott to a degree, and then the 54 mm. with Alistair Sim are probably, they all have very similar Ghosts of Christmas Past, and those are probably mm-hmm. the best, the ones that try to be as faithful as they can, because the rest get kind of weird. The, the only thing with uh, the only thing with the Patrick Stewart version is I kept I kept expecting the ghost of Christmas past to start singing the candy colored clown clown. They call the Sandman. find it a little too cold to be out and about in all that holiday bustle? Would you rather cozy up by the fire with a warm cocoa or cider? Reading a book? Watching a movie? Talking with friends to pass the time while the snow drifts and falls outside? If you need a place to keep warm, please step in here at the Projectionist's Lending Library where we celebrate this holiday season with a special Christmas episode. Welcome to the Projectionist Lending Library. We have a very special episode for you today. Uh, We are going to be talking about Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol for this festive time of year and talk about its many adaptations, including the actual cinematic masterpiece, Muppets Christmas Carol. Another thing Uh, that makes today's (laughs) episode... Another thing that makes today's episode so special is for the first time we have a little panel with us. We have uh, my good friend Justin uh, from down in Tuscaloosa is joining us. He is a Dickens and particularly Christmas Carol connoisseur uh, and and a co-host of the wonderful podcast Caging Greatness. And we are uh, also accompanied by my dear wife, Elizabeth, who is, I, I think it's fair to say obsessed with Muppets Christmas Carol. She's wearing a No Cheeses for His Mises t-shirt right now. Um, so yeah, uh, and of course we have our other co-host, Nathaniel. So uh, Nathaniel, one of the things that you said, you mm-hmm. know, going into this, I don't know if this was just particular to Muppets because of your humbug earlier, or if this was about Christmas Carol as a whole, but you said you were going to be a little, a little scroogey. What's up? With uh, that? Well, yeah, I, um, to be fair, to be fair, I, I watched the Muppets Christmas Carol under less than ideal circumstances, but I'm going to be a little grinchy about this movie. I I watched another one right afterwards from 1930 something with, uh, oh, I don't have the guy's name in front of me right now, but that I, it was only an hour long and it had all these wonderful old Hollywood actors in it and uh, character actors. And I enjoyed that one quite a bit more. So I'm going to be grinchy about the Muppet Christmas Carol. The book, actually, I'm, uh, 
I like it's I, I like I like Dickens. I went through a major Dickens phase when I was a teenager. I like a Christmas. I think it's interesting. I think it's weirder than a lot of the adaptations I've seen give it credit for being, to be honest. Yeah, this was my first time actually reading the text. I think if it wasn't, it's the first like it's been a very long time. And um you know, in, in proper Dickensian fashion, Elizabeth and I, we read it out loud. And so, well, I read it out loud, but, you know, you know, Dickens would do his tours and like, yeah, read, yeah, yeah. read, read bits and pieces of it. So we did that. And did you um, scream so horribly that Elizabeth fainted while you were reading it? Because that's something Dickens liked to do with some of his stuff. No, but okay. but Elizabeth has a higher <laughs> threshold than those Victorian girls. Did you did you scream so loudly that you fainted? That's the next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did get really hoarse some of the times though. It was it was hard to uh, keep up my Scrooge gravelly voice that I made. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what it, what uh, and and one of the things I liked about in reading it for the first time. Is yeah, it's weirder, but it's also a lot creepier than a lot of the adaptations, and maybe not a lot of the adaptations. Justin, you would certainly know better than I am uh, than I do. But I mean, when I say adaptations, I think primarily of Muppets Christmas Carol. So it's creepier than Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah, the 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 creepiness of the adaptations, as far as the movies go, uh, in a lot of them, it has been lacking. You know, the Jim Carrey one added a lot of that in but it was it wasn't like the right kind of creepiness it never felt atmospheric it felt like it was a bunch of crazy people about to stab somebody mm. oh. but that's probably because jim carrey was playing most of the characters <laughs> oh okay that was one of those uh, ones where he kind of like does everyone. he did scrooge and all three ghosts oh okay yeah hmm. and it's it's just it could have been really good and instead it was just sort of mid now the the BBC adaptation they did with Guy Pierce, the only thing that I enjoyed about that was it was very creepy. It had the atmosphere. Everything else was a train wreck. It's an abomination, and nobody should watch it. But I, I there is a lack of the creepiness in most of these adaptations. The subtitle of of the novella is a ghost story of Christmas. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, what did you think about the book? Um, I really liked it a lot. I think especially after reading it now and having watched Muppets Christmas Carol so many times that it's become one of my favorite stories. I love just the whole entire story. Nathaniel and Justin, did you encounter a Christmas Carol first through Dickens or through some adaptation or another? My introduction was Kermit. Okay. And that made me go find Dickens. Okay. Like okay. Because I saw Muppet Christmas Carol and Guns says, if you like this, you should read the book. Well, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Thanks, Gonzo, purveyor of wisdom. Nathaniel, I, what about you? I'm pretty sure that my first introduction to this story was Mickey's Christmas Carol, which I okay. watched a lot outside of season as a child. I, I watched that many, many, many times. And then later on, I encountered the book, and I, I went through a period where I read the book every year for Christmas, or at least I pretended to. Well, I think, I think that's definitely going to become a, a Christmas tradition for us after doing it this mm -hmm. year. I think actually, you know what I did? I did read this before I lied. I, yes, I did because I took a, <laughs> this is what grad school does to you. I mean, I, I took a master's course on Dickens. Mm -hmm. Like when I did my master's, I, I did a seminar mm -hmm. on, on Dickens um, because it was like the, it was like his 200th 
year anniversary mm-hmm. of his birth or 200th birthday or something. I don't know, but it was, I, I remember it was a um, fall semester course and there was a bunch of like events on campus that they did for Dickens. And one of the things that they did is they brought a guy in that he's like one of very few left in the world, but he did magic lantern shows. Do you know what those are? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but explain it for the, for the people. Yeah. Who so for, for those, for, for the listeners that don't um, a magic lantern show is basically the predecessor to our movies. Um, and it's just like a projector, right? Like think of like the overhead projectors when you were a kid. Well, depending on the age here, people might not even know those because it's all digitized, but it'll it'll just be a projector and they would have like different clear sheets that would have like like paintings on them and settings on them and then you would have like almost like little kind of puppets um there would be the thing where there would be uh it would be close up on someone's face and you you could just kind of move the mouth up and down so it's like a cross between it was like this little short thing between puppet shows and like legit film cinema moving pictures type thing um and and this guy did it of of a Christmas carol, and he actually had a lot of like old like old slides that were originally from the the nineteenth century. It was, it was very cool, but but yeah, I don't know why I was talking about that. Christmas Carol. Oh right, Christmas Carol. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but it, Christmas Carol is one of those things that like it's almost like the very idea of it and the character of Scrooge and all of this stuff. I mean, this all precedes the book, right? At, at our at our point in culture, yeah, yeah, it's it's ubiquitous, right? Like you can call someone a Scrooge, and even if even if people haven't read the book or even necessarily seen an adaptation, they know what you're talking about, right? Yeah, they know what you mean. My first yeah. introduction to Scrooge, though, was probably Ducktales. Mm-hmm. So, and I just realized last night as we watched Mickey's Christmas Carol that um, I always Scrooge figured Scrooge time. what. Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, that he actually was originally like a character from the Donald Duck comic books in the 40s. And they they didn't actually make him like a, a Christmas Carol Scrooge until much, much later. OK, so basic stuff. As you said, we don't have to actually summarize the <laughs> So the story of Christmas Carol, there's this old grumpy guy and his name is Scrooge and he doesn't like Christmas. And then uh, he's visited by some ghosts and he learns the the joy of the Christmas spirit. And um, he's a reformed man by the end and and absolutely loves Christmas and he blesses everyone, everyone. Good. Yeah. One of the questions I think we can start with is this. Why is this story like sticking around like we don't just have a as Justin can say, we don't just have a gazillion adaptations of A Christmas Carol. We have a gazillion gazillion TV episodes and movies that reference it in some way. Arguably, even something like It's a Wonderful Life is doing a Christmas Carol thing. It's a very sturdy sort of format. And so we might start by asking why. Why do we like this story? Or why do you personally like it? One of the things I really like about it, again, well, just going with the book, it's got like horror vibes. So that's cool. But also, I think because just the sort of general, we all know a Scrooge. We, we We all have probably been a Scrooge. Christmas is a weird time of year where it's really easy to be 
grumpy and crabby, especially now that, again, that we live up in the frozen tundra and it's just like dark and cold all the time. And it's really easy to sort of forget just like the the sort of basic joy of, of Christmas and being with family and friends and loved ones and the giving spirit and all of these things. I always like the story because it's it's a nice it's a nice reminder, I guess. What about y'all? I think for me personally, my first um, encounter with a Christmas Carol was similar to Nathaniel. I watched uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol way too much as a kid. We had it on a VHS tape. I watched it all year long, which is what I do with Muppets Christmas Carol now. And I think I just, like I said before, I really like the entire story of a Christmas Carol. It's so accessible at any age. And it just has such a heartwarming, happy ending that is just good for the soul, I feel like. And too much of happy endings would would become like kind of gross, you know, but like sometimes sometimes you need it, especially because most good literature doesn't have a happy ending. I'll go on record saying that most good literature is sad. <laughs> Justin I don't Shaggy's know, man. I, I don't know, man. Every time. What was it? What was it? Uh Oscar Wilde said about Little Nell, he said it would take a heart of stone to read the death of Little Nell without laughing. I kind of feel that way about Tiny Tim a little bit. Poor Tiny Tim. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Justin, what about you? Like, because you I know you really like this book, but and and you've read a lot of Dickens, but you're not necessarily a fan of Dickens' larger works. I I'm somewhere in the middle. I really like Dickens. He has some of my favorite books. Great Expectations, one of my favorite. Bleak House. I love and also reading this, I'm like, huh, Dickens had like a thing for spontaneous combustion because that's just randomly thrown in here. And, you know, like the character that spontaneously combusts in Bleak House. There's a lot of random Dickens. One of the things I want to I'm going to get let Justin talk. But one of the things I want to mention here is that Dickens manages to shoehorn so many of his pet causes into this little bitty book. Oh, that have nothing to do with Christmas. But Justin, sorry, go ahead. You see, when you said the sentence, most good literature is sad, uh, that made me want to vomit uh, <laughs> because I, I hate that idea. But And you're, you're entitled to it, even if you're wrong, but you're entitled to it. Uh, but no, I, just, I don't like Dickens in general. Like I don't like his other stuff. It's just, it's the, everything feels like caricature. Uh-huh. And, and I don't know if, if that's, a product of you know the fact that it is or just a modern sensibility looking back at it but you know you can only read about so many coal covered street urchins before you start to get sick of it but with the christmas carol it one it doesn't feel quite as meandering as a lot of his other stuff to me certainly it's it's an actual story there's a point a and a point b and a point c and you go from one to the other with the same character and uh and i also just i like the story i like the idea that the worst person you know can one day not be so crappy it's a it's a nice idea you know and then if if you're the type that maybe you might be the worst person you know you're not happy with who you are there's always time to change i I just i like that message 
Yeah. Well, and I think too, going back to it's, it's not meandering. Of course, Dickens is known for his tomes and his giant books. I mean, he serialized everything, got, got paid by the word, right? So his stuff gets really big, but you, I, I think a lot of his, I mean, even this deals with caricatures, right? Tiny Tim, Scrooge, all yeah. of these folks, but, but you're right. This is so much tighter. Uh, the, the overall idea that like a hardened person be, can become good, that like people can change that all of these, I feel like are, are, very Dickensian ideas. I was going to say with the Christmas Carol, the the fact that its character works in its favor. A story like this needs to be caricature because mm. if it's a, an in depth character study, it, it doesn't have the same effect, the same gut punch of you know Scrooge doesn't need to have a, a sad eighty nine thousand page backstory of why his dad sucked and his mom wasn't there and his sister was frail. You just need those bullet points to get into the main meat of it. So the fact that he is just a caricature of the worst person you know, it serves the story better. And also very concisely kind of gives that backstory of like how he became hardened. Well, and one thing, one thing that might, unlike you, I do like the the bigger meandering caricature Dickens. Uh, I do too. But one thing that may help with this, I think, is that this novella functions on a much more openly sort of allegorical level than a lot of his stuff does mm -hmm. i think about the description of the ghosts the different ghosts and uh if i if i could i want to just look at the ghost of christmas past which is my favorite of the ghosts weirdly uh, the creepiest of the ghosts a creepiest of the ghosts it's my favorite though for a couple of reasons one of which is the I don't know if I want to call it allegory or symbolism, whatever it is, is much more interesting to me than, oh, he's a big jolly guy or, oh, it's basically the Grim Reaper. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the if we look at the ghost of Christmas past, uh, here's the description. It was a strange figure like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man viewed through some supernatural medium which gave him the appearance of having receded from the view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle on it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands were the same, as if the hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs, most delicately formed, were, like those upper members, bare. And then he goes on, and he describes the way that, yeah, this is the next paragraph, the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with 20 legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, of which dissolving parts, no outline, could be visible in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. Now, that's that's just, first of all, lovely writing, but it's also such a great description of memory. This novel functions on an allegorical level in a much more open way, and it makes some of the preposterousness of Tiny Tim or Scrooge or any of these characters much more palatable, I think, at least to some sensibilities, maybe. See, you read that, and I was like, man, he's just, the, the ghost of Christmas past is just uh, Krishna in the divine form, the, the yeah. multitudinous form, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that that being of the past, it's sort of like all of these different things. Is that kind of the point you're making? He's he's all of these different things, but also uh, one of the things, at least with my memory and 
who knows, I may just have a spectacularly bad memory. But with my memory, sometimes things in the past become indistinct or almost forgotten. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes they're very clear. Mm -hmm. And so the the actual physical form, if we can call it that, of the ghost of Christmas past mirrors the experience of trying to memorize, uh, remember one's own past. You might even call it a metaphysical form. You might you might call it a metaphysical form. Yes, you might. <laughs> I really liked the ghost of Marley. Okay, and I think like especially where I was saying like this this felt so much creepier than the adaptations. I think a big part was Marley. Like he's mm. just sort of described as almost corpse-like and decrepit, and he has this bandage around his head, and he opens up, and his mouth just like falls open, and his voice just kind of comes out of mm-hmm. it. I mean, I think my favorite ghost is the ghost of present. Um, Maybe that's just because I'm a pre-K teacher, so I'm always positive and happy and I like happy things. So I think present really like is this, you know, big jovial guy. And I think that one of the biggest turning points for Scrooge was during the present and seeing what's going on around him currently. So. Well, and with the present, like that, this goes back to Nathaniel's point with like the the past sort of being this embodiment of it, that the present like ages so quickly, right? Like the present is always fleeting, but it's also like, like you said, Elizabeth, like the most kind of pivotal, like the present is when things can change, but it's, it, it yeah, it's fleeting. It, it goes so quickly. Well, he's also got his creepy aspect too. He's got these two starving children living mm-hmm. in his coat. Yeah, like why doesn't that, you know, that I, I didn't even think about that, but there's these. So for readers, this is because this isn't in a lot of the adaptations that I'm familiar with, anyways. That towards the end of it, and this is when he's like all gray and about to fade away. Um, Scrooge is like, Oh, what is that a claw? And he's like, Yes, it is a claw. And he pulls out two like children out of his robe, a little girl and a little boy. And one is what ignorance and one is want. Um, yeah, you know. I don't know about ignorance. I mean, the, the ghost seems pretty intelligent and wise, hence him, you know, being here to to guide Scrooge. So I think he could do something. But certainly with want, like we first meet him, he's on a mountain of food. The obvious answer is because that food was just a metaphor. And so were <laughs> there were the kids. <laughs> so were the kids. I, I was going to say, it's an allegory. It's an allegory. Yeah. I mean, okay, so so one of the things that sort of submerged in this in this novel, and it's not totally submerged, it's not submerged to the extent that it is in some adaptations, but Dickens is a Victorian Christian. And a lot of his I I mean, because you get a lot of throw-off references to the sacredness of the season and that sort of thing. But one of the things he might be thinking of here uh, as a as a reformer is Jesus' words, the poor you will always have with you, uh, which is sometimes taken in some circles as being an excuse for not doing anything. But I think that Victorian reformers took it as a call to do things. So what Dickens is doing here is he's saying, look, in the midst of this Christmas season, you need to remember to Give to the poor, which is exactly what Scrooge refuses to do at the beginning of the novella. Uh, and that's when he says, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Which is what the ghost says to him 
as a sort of rebuke. He starts throwing his words back at him. Mm-hmm. So the the whole thing functions symbolically to to sort of goad Scrooge towards compassion and kindness, which goes a long way towards me wondering to towards a question I have, which isn't on the outline, which is why Scrooge needs three spirits, because he seems in pretty good shape after the first one. Uh, but he, they they keep hitting him with more spirits as he goes on. I mean, obviously, like on the practical level, like just if, if we're thinking of time, like past, present, future, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But why, why sort of frame it in these three ways of putting it in the past, present, and future? It could be because it needed to be reinforced. I mean, think if he only saw the past and that seemed to have changed him, that could have only been for a little while because the past is the past. And eventually it fades away, whereas having the present and then the future, that really reinforced the fact that he needed to change. Well, I mean, can we really say that he was changed really by the past? Like, I I never got that impression at all. It always felt like all that the past did was remind him why he was so mad in the first place. Mm -hmm. All the, the difficulty he had been through. So you show him the past to A, remind him that yeah, things were bad, but you were happy. And then you let that go, you moron, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And then you show him the present where there are people who are trying to be the sort of person he used to be, but they're suffering and he can help that. And then that knockout punch of the future of, hey, look, this cute kid that you like is going to die if you don't do something, you ass. Mm-hmm. Well, and also everybody, it's 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 weird that he's actually bothered with the future that everybody fucking hates him. Whereas like have the occasion to worry about what people think of him. His whole focus had been to, to gather as much money as possible because he was that afraid of being poor because of his family history. So it it was the first time he was really confronted with a group of people more than like one or two who owed him money, but like a, a large group of people who were not only unmoved that he was gone, but thrilled yeah yeah there's that one scene with the the couple who are uh relieved and happy because they're they get a chance to maybe not lose their their home right because i mean like in our everyday lives we're always going to be the villain in somebody's story even if it's just for 30 seconds because we're having a bad day and somebody cuts us off in traffic and you know something stupid like that we're going to be the villain but mm. if you're confronted with everybody that you've ever been the villain to in just for six months time you know it's mm. going to be a large number of people and it's going to hit a lot mm. different than this one guy who cut me off in traffic what do you think happens to marley you mean after the after the story's over yeah i guess the reason i asked this is because it uh, you know, for, for Dickens, who is this reformer, for this book that is so about, like, change, Marley's, like, condemned. Like, he will never, like, it, I mean, that's what it says, right? He's never going to get out of, like, he's going to have these chains forever. Mm-hmm. That's the great tragedy in this book. The great tragedy is that Marley. Marley, Marley can't doesn't get to change get... like Scrooge did. Yeah, although Marley, like... <sighs> There's a there's a weird there's a weird thing going on here in which Marley is condemned forever to walk and watch the happiness that he never helped, never partook in and watch the people he never helped. But at the same time, Scrooge's whole redemption arc is 
of Marley's procuring, right? So Marley got him that chance, which indicates that something about this afterlife that Dickens is imagining here does allow ghosts to do something redemptive. So it's it's kind of to me, it's kind of ambiguous whether or not Marley's gonna get out of this because he's doing the best thing he ever did, which is get his partner a chance at redemption. But I'm not sure Dickens is interested in that. I'm not sure Dickens is interested in Marley at all. No, he doesn't seem to be. And, <laughs> they, they, and that's what I'm like. It's like, oh, I mean, indeed, it's not like, is Marley ever brought up again at the end of the novella? I don't even remember. No. I, no. I do remember. There's one bit. I'm not sure if it's in the novella, or but it's in several of the adaptations where when Marley's talking to Scrooge, he even says, I don't know why I can appear in a form that you can see right now, but yeah. hey, let's roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So there's a lot of questions about this, this hypothetical Dickensian afterlife, but in my fan theory, Marley's chains fell off and he was happy. <laughs> yeah. Like all the that. good that Scrooge did was attributed to him too. And everything's fine. Everything's everything's hunky dory for Marley. That's right. And yeah. Tiny Tim went on to become a world famous gymnast. <laughs> Probably on the pommel horse. Yeah. Tiny Tim, who did not die, <laughs> who did won not the gold die. medal in the first ever Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, one thing I did just want to mention, um, this is this is going really back to one of the things we we're talking about at the beginning of the novel, comparing this with his other, with Dickens other works is that another thing that makes this stand out from it is not just its tightness, but, you know, Dickens is a realist and that's his form all the time, even though there might be the supernatural aspects of spontaneous combustion and several of his works and stuff like that. Um, he doesn't often deal specifically in the spirit world when he's writing and i think that this novella shows that he despite what he may be known for he was a pretty versatile writer mm. it's just that he had to you know he he wrote what sold yeah was one it? thing no go on no go go ahead go ahead Nathaniel. i i was i was gonna point out uh since you bring up dickens and we're gonna have to move on to the movie in a second but one of the things I wanted to wanted to point out is that even though this is a very different sort of novella than what Dickens normally did, he still manages to get all of his pet peeves in here. So like workhouses, he gets in there, poor houses, he gets in there. He gets in a paragraph of anti-Sabbatarianism, which is absolutely remarkable to me that he manages to stop the whole story just so Scrooge can say, well, why do you make people not work on Sunday? And then the ghost of Christmas present says, oh, that's not me. That's those bad people who just use my name in vain. Just there, just a little <laughs> anti-Sabbatarianism there for you. He gets that there. Okay, also, the other thing is the random horniness of this book. The horny hands. <laughs> of the men at the lighthouse, it, they light the fire with their horny hands. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about I'm talking about the game of blind man's bluff, where uh, uh, Scrooge's nephew's best friend keeps feeling up the plump the plump girl. On Dickens' narrator yeah, says something it. like, "I wish I could kiss this beautiful woman on her lips." It's a uh, it's a weirdly horny book, is what I'm saying. It is Victorian. <laughs> <laughs> 
and he had to go to like dick i mean and obviously like his names and this isn't just in this it's throughout his works that that adds to the the caricature always right mm-hmm. um of of his of his people um but yeah that this guy's name is topper <laughs> dickens 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 you dirty funny man again that's just part of the victorian aspect right like mm. you can't read any victorian without finding horniness like just below the surface because that's just <laughs> i mean that's like a defining victorian. feature of the victorians right okay so should we take a break a really brief break and then move on to the movie adaptation a muppet christmas carol which we're going to be discussing yeah let's do that we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back mm. and talk about Muppets and and all of the others. going to be talking about the Muppets Christmas Carol, which is an adaptation of Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol. Uh, I'm going to be trying to moderate myself a little bit. I'm going to let people who like it talk first. So, (laughs) Elizabeth, (laughs) why why don't you lead us in with why this movie is good, actually? Oh, man, I could talk about that for days. Um, This movie is great because it's, I don't even have words, honestly. Um, I guess I should. Um, I think this movie is great because Michael Caine is excellent as Scrooge. Um, I think he does a very fine performance as Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, He does well, especially with treating the Muppets like they are other actors, which is fantastic because that's what really like solidifies his performance as Scrooge. And the songs are excellent. I love Mm. all the music. I it's fantastic no cheeses for us nieces the the mouses in this movie just really bring me so much joy i think the ghosts are really good i don't know i i don't even know where to go with this i just love this movie so much i'll let somebody else talk now i mean i just want to say like with the no cheeses for us mises like i mean seriously that alone the the two different moments of the Mies family the Mises family like in the in the opening song right when they're in their little home and and who we have decided is martha we we have called the little old lady mouse but we've decided her name is martha martha Mises. Um, why did you say that name 
(laughs) (laughs) And, um, and, you know, when she says, we just want some cheese. I mean, that right there is enough, should be enough to like break any stone hearted, cold Scrooge hearted person seeing this little mouse (laughs) family just like, we just want a little bit of cheese. I think that that moment shows just how many people Scrooge's Scroogeiness affects. Like it's all the way down to the Mises. Everyone is affected by his greed, his sadness, his angriness, like everything affects everyone in town he's a jerk justin what is your opinion of this well honestly this is it's my favorite adaptation too you know michael Caine playing it completely straight that was part of his agreement to be in the movie in the first place they said do you want to be screwed yes but i'm i'm not going to wink at the camera i'm going to play this as if we're doing it on stage uh i will not acknowledge that a two foot tall green felt frog is bob cratchit it's just Bob Cratchit. They had you know Gonzo as Charles Dickens, the narrator, so where great. you get a lot of the flavor of the text for because you have to remember, you know, it's for children for the most part, but it, it works for adults because you have the flavor of the text. You get to introduce that to people who have never read the books and might want to read the books. There's even the line at the end that says, "If you like this, you should read the book." The Muppets are perfectly cast and the jokes are all both like the subtle jokes are fun. And then the overt jokes are really well done. The, the scene where Rizzo's climbing up the fence and he's scared to death and he jumps down and he falls. And, oh, I forgot my jelly beans. And he just squeezes back through. <laughs> like it's a good joke. Uh, having Statler and Waldorf as Jacob and Robert Marley. That's a Bob Marley joke. You don't have to know who Bob Marley is to you know to get the joke and you're not gonna miss like you can miss that joke and it won't affect your enjoyment like oh they just added him because it's statler and waldorf but the people who recognize it's a bob marley joke they're gonna enjoy the bob marley joke and the uh the songs the songs are great and what i judge a good adaptation by is the ghost of christmas present because that's supposed to be the bright happy spot in the middle of several ghosts interrupting an old man's night yeah, supposed to the Christmas is creepy. It's a ghost story, but you have this guy in the middle who's like, you know what? Things are kind of happy and jolly for five minutes. Enjoy it. So if you screw up the ghost of Christmas present to me, you've screwed up the entire adaptation. Mm-hmm. And the, the Muppet version has the best ghost of Christmas present. He's treating Scrooge like an old friend. He's like, hey, come on. Things aren't so bad. Let's go have fun. Look, it's snowing. Isn't that great? Come on. It's great. And that, I just enjoy that. And then also the choice to have Gonzo, the narrator, dip out when the ghost of Christmas yet to come shows up, that <laughs> enhances the creepiness to an appropriate level for anyone. And it's just it's just good. Like, it's well acted. Even you know the Muppets act their parts really well. A lot of the ways they originally wanted to do it, their first ideas was like, Gonzo would be the ghost of Christmas yet to come, but his nose would be sticking out of the rope. Which, yes, that would have been funny, but it wouldn't have been as good as this. So the way it all worked out, uh, it's a great introduction to the story. It's also a great adaptation of the story. And it's just fun to watch. And that's why I love it. Yeah. And Gonzo's, one of the things that as Elizabeth and I were going through this, because we could both quote Muppet's Christmas Carol pretty much front to back, as I know Justin can too. How, I mean, if, if you want to go just by like script, it's very faithful. I mean, there are so many lines that are word for word that even at the end, 
who did not die. Um, <laughs> I mean, because we always laugh when Gonzo says that. And then you read this last line and not is in all caps. Um, and and the, I think, I mean, Gonzo is like one of my favorite Muppets, as is Fozzie. And, and Fozzie as Fozzie Wig, obviously, that just works. Um, but I think Gonzo does so well with being Dickens because Dickens is when it comes down to it, like, you know, a, a very warm person, but kind of like this sarcastic delivery of, I mean, throughout his works. And I think casting Gonzo to be Dickens voice is is so perfect. And then obviously this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first Muppet production with Rizzo. Uh, Rizzo, Rizzo was in the great Muppet caper, which is the yeah. best Muppet movie. Yeah. Uh, this was the first movie that they did since Jim died. This was the first one that Brian yeah. directed. Yeah. But yeah, Rizzo was, had been there before. Yeah, this was this was the first one. And it's the first Muppet movie that's an adaptation of something else. They, I still they think followed, they should have continued that. Well, they followed it up with the far superior Muppet Treasure Island. But that movie is incredible. incredible. It is, that movie's it is great. Good. I love I love that movie so much. Yeah, uh, they should have just kept doing it after those two. Because it, oh, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Okay, you're absolutely right. This was nowhere near his Rizzo's first, but I think it was like one of his first like starring roles. It was certainly his best performance. Yeah. <laughs> I think Rizzo is my favorite part of the entire movie. Just his little one-liners really like, add so much to the story. Yeah, and 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 he's always eaten. <laughs> Just like me. <laughs> I can relate. I I think I agree. I think Rizzo is the best part of this of this movie. So, Mr. Scrooge, tell us why you did not like A Muppet's Christmas Carol. Uh, here's my chance to be the bad guy. Um, OK, so it's a bad Muppet movie. It's not as funny as any other Muppet movie the, it, until until Muppets from Space. It's not particularly funny. It's it leans into all of the worst aspects of the Muppets, which is the sentimentality that's been present since at least the Muppet movie. Uh, it's not a great. I'm sorry, Justin. I don't think it's a great adaptation of A Christmas Carol. I think that they flatten Scrooge's character. They get rid of all of the grace notes with the other characters, uh, for instance. Uh, as with many adaptations, the at least the ones I've seen, it gets rid of his sort of imaginative escape into literature as a child. It gets rid of that. It turns him into a uh, a grasping, money grubbing character much earlier in the narrative than appears in the actual story, and it makes F Fred, his nephew Fred, much meaner than he is in the novella we get to see fred saying nice things about scrooge in christmas present as well as negative things he says i feel bad for him i feel sorry for him blah 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 whereas in this adaptation you just get the mean jokes about him being an animal that no one wants in the ghost of christmas presents and, and i find all of these things to to tremendously flatten the story and make it much less interesting as a whole all of those are actually very valid criticisms, but there, there are two things that I'm not going to say explain them. And one, like it is my favorite adaptation of a Christmas Carol, but I, I do agree. It's not the best adaptation. It's just my well, favorite. Well, what do you mean by best? Like most accurate? I mean, that's the thing. Like, what do we mean by like a best adaptation or something? 
Yeah, I would say most accurate to the tone, theme, uh, ideas of the story without cutting too much out. But I mean, this yeah. is a flattened version of a Christmas Carol, and that's because it was made for kids, you know. And and you've got the Muppets; you have to make room for some of the jokes, so you take out some of the other bits from the adaptation. And it's not going to be a good Muppets movie because it's an adaptation of a Christmas Carol, and there's a certain degree of playing it straight that you have to do for this story. You know, it's not like Treasure Island where it's it's a big uh, rollicking adventure where you can just throw jokes in and it feels right at home. You know, Christmas Carol is not particularly funny. So if you're making an adaptation with the Muppets for kids, this is probably the best option you're going to get. There's also for, I guess I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably speaking for a lot of folks. I don't know. I mean, not necessarily a lot of folks here recording this, but a lot of folks generally this is the most I know of the Muppets. I mean, I've seen, I mean, I grew up on Muppet Babies. I've watched some of the 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 Muppet show, like the original Muppet show, like the variety show. I, I've seen Muppet Treasure Island, but that's probably close to it. So like when you say it's not a good, it's not a good Muppet movie or not representative of the Muppets, I guess I don't know. It's fair. Well, the thing is like the, with this movie, the Muppets are all playing characters. Mm-hmm. So their their own personalities have to be way toned down. Like probably Gonzo to a degree as Charles Dickens is the closest to his actual character, or maybe Animal, because Animal's still just playing the drums loudly and screaming. So that's that's pretty much it. That's all you need with him. What about Miss Piggy as Mrs. Cratchit? I mean, I love Miss Piggy as Mrs. Cratchit, but is that kind of, I mean, I always thought that's kind of how Miss Piggy is, right? Like sassy and... To me, Miss Piggy was always way more insufferable than everything else. Yeah, I okay, don't like yeah. Miss Piggy. Okay. This is the, the most, most I like her. The most Miss Piggy moment is where she's where she's attacking Scrooge after he's had his uh, change of heart. I think that yeah. that was, and I liked that sequence. I I liked that <laughs> a lot. Um, but that was the most Miss Piggy. Otherwise, she was just a pig in a dress. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's very true. Elizabeth, did I make you mad? No, I think I I agree. I I love when Scrooge says he's going to give Bob a raise, and she says, "I ought to raise you right off the pavement." I mean, <laughs> one of the three times I laughed in this movie was that was oh, that moment. No. <laughs> this is uh, for us. It's a quintessential comfort movie. I mean, and that's why, like, it's not even this movie isn't even necessarily strictly on just Christmas rotation. I mean, we watched it like crazy during the Christmas season, but we'll watch it throughout the year because it's definitely a movie that just brings a lot of comfort. Um, one thing I did want to mention, because y'all were talking about the uh, the ghosts uh, and you're sp- talking specifically about the ghost of Christmas past in, in other adaptations. I actually, and maybe this goes, I, I remember seeing this and this is one of the first movies I remember seeing in the theater. I remember seeing it with my mom at the Shockley Town Square Theater uh, when I was really little. And so maybe it's maybe it's going back to that because I remember that the ghost of Christmas past always creeped me out the most when I was a kid and first saw it. I actually really like how they do the ghost of Christmas past in this movie. I mean, it doesn't have it's not quite as creepy, I guess, as that we see in the book or looking at the images from the Patrick Stewart adaptation. But it is creepy in that sort of uncanny way that that marks the the ghost that it's. It's like both a child and adult and man, like that it's 
it's this it's this embodiment that collapses binaries and i and i really like the i really like their version of the ghost of christmas past in it it looked like a refugee from the dark crystal didn't it it does have very dark crystal yeah look like kind of a, what are those little creatures in dark crystal called i don't remember oh i don't know i've not actually seen dark crystal <gasps> <laughs> and then the obviously the ghost of christmas future or christmas yet to come is the same. The Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come was honestly my favorite of the ghosts. Uh, I did not like Ghost of Christmas Past too much for various reasons. Ghost of Christmas Present got on my nerves eventually. He looked like a refugee from Disneyland. and uh, But the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come, I liked. He, um, it seemed appropriately creepy, and most of the time its proportions seemed right in the long shots most of the time okay i told you i was going to be scroogey about this movie <laughs> just, I, I genuinely don't understand like it, it's baffling to me i mean it is kind of odd to hear that sort of uh pull apart criticisms of a 1992 muppets kid movie but i get it you're watching it as an adult so some stuff's gonna stick out and you didn't watch this as a kid, did you, Nathaniel? No, I didn't. Well, I saw it once as a child, apparently, because I remembered it. But and I remembered like the Marley's sequence, which I didn't like this time. Um, and I remembered a couple of other sequences. I didn't like any of the songs in this in this movie. What? Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Even when Kermit like dances. No, even when Kermit like dances, like I genuinely did not like this movie very much. Well, you said you didn't watch it in the most ideal of circumstances. What were your circumstances? I was I hung over because it's obviously nothing to over. do with the movie. This is all to do with Nathaniel and, and how he viewed it. So we have to now I'm just interested in what happened. <laughs> no, I was hung over. But then immediately afterwards, I watched the 1938 version with um, Reginald Owen. And I liked that one a lot more than I liked Muppet Christmas Carol. Who's Reginald uh, Owen? He was the star Does, of the 1938 version. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He took over for Lionel Barrymore. Barrymore was going to do it because he did a yearly broadcast of it on radio, but he, he was sick, so they got Reginald Owen to do it. Reginald Owen's not very good, but it's got Gene Lockhart as Bob Cratchit, and he's amazing as Bob Cratchit. He is one of my favorite Cratchits. If you have, really like, if you like, if you like the 38. You should find the 1954 with Alistair Sim because that one's yeah. widely believed to be the best adaptation. It's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, it's very good. I, I watched just a little bit of it, but it was too late in the night for me to finish it. But I was really impressed with. I was impressed with Sim. Sim's amazing as Scrooge. I you think. know, it, everyone in that adaptation is fantastic, and they add some stuff that that wasn't in the books, like some past scenes, but. Overall, the movie's incredible. That one's my second favorite version. No, third. Sorry, third. Well, Justin, give us your top five ranked. Uh, well, number one is Muppet Christmas Carol. It's my okay. favorite adaptation. Number two is the 1970s starring Albert Finney and Sir Alec Guinness. It's mm -hmm. also a musical. Mm -hmm. And okay. uh, 
the the animated one that Netflix just released this month is sort of a remake and reimagining of that version. So a lot of the songs are uh, either the same or you know, same lyrics with with new music behind it. And I like that one a lot too. Uh, but my number three version is the 1954 with Alistair Sim. My number four is now the 2022 Netflix, the animated one. I really like the animation's good. It's it's got a lot of really creepy uh, versions of the ghosts, and I just, I just really enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, and then uh, number five is the 1999 with Patrick Stewart. Okay. The um, 1994 to... with George C. Scott's really good too. To check out the new Netflix one. I know you had you had texted me about it, before, like when you were watching it, and it was like, "Oh, we need to watch that," but we didn't get a chance to watch it. It's a good time. I enjoyed it. Okay. What about the Guy Pierce one? That one makes me irrationally angry. How come? <sighs> okay. It's a three-hour miniseries. That that it, there's no joy. Like that's my biggest issue. There's no joy. There's no happiness. There's there's nothing even closely resembling Christmas spirit in this three hour abomination of a slog through this story. Like they start off with the opening scene, just to set the scene for you. The opening scene is a scarred teenage factory worker pissing on Marley's grave. And then you follow the piss as it drips into the grave and onto Marley's face. And that's what wakes up the ghost of Jacob Marley. That is this the is some nightmare scene. on Elm Street Four stuff you're this describing is, here. This is Zack Snyder's A Christmas Carol. And I hate it so much. Like, um, they, they immediately I'm at least going to watch the opening now. <laughs> they, they imply that Scrooge is autistic because he counts obsessively. Uh, they, Bob Cratchit and Scrooge have an angry back and forth. Like it's not, there's no fear of his employer. They're just saying mean shit to each other over and over again for no good reason. Uh, Bob Cratchit and Mrs. Cratchit seem like they can't stand each other at all. Like huh. there, there's, there's no hat. Like he comes home. like, hi honey. She's like, how come your job sucks? Like, it's just like, it's just terrible. And then, and then even worse, like you get to go through the Christmas past stuff, his previous relationship with Belle or whatever, the, whatever they call her in various adaptations. She doesn't have a name in this one. She doesn't have a speaking part in this one. She appears as a projection and the ghost is like, Hey, you remember that girl you love? Yeah. Bummer. And that's it. That it's at 45 seconds in the entire movie that she's mentioned in a three also, hour adaptation. Yeah. The boarding school where Scrooge was sent to turns out his father sold him to that school because the priest liked to touch little boys. And so Scrooge was getting touched until his sister showed up and took him home at gunpoint from this <laughs> priest. Uh, and then, and then, uh, tiny Tim needed surgery, right? When he was born, he was tiny. And so they're like, well, the kid's going to die unless we can get these, these things done. We need money. And so Mrs. Cratchit goes to Scrooge and says, hey, uh, no one else will give money. Bob's too proud to, to, to ask. Can we have money? He's like, meet me at my house at five o'clock. Tell your husband you're going somewhere else. Hmm. And so she shows up to his house and he's like, yeah, yeah I got this money. What would people do for money like this? What do you think a man like me would have someone like you do for money like this? And so she takes off her clothes 
And he's like, nah, you're good. I just want to see how much your dignity was worth. Here's your money. And if you ever, if you ever let, like Bob ever leaves, I'm going to tell him exactly what happened. So he better stay working for me for nothing. So Scrooge is a sexual predator is what I'm getting at. Uh, there's also a scene where the ghost of Christmas past shows Scrooge's dad cutting off the head of his pet mouse when he was a child. And then uh, like the ghost of Christmas present. A direct tack on the Mises? Yes. Like you see the blood splatter against oh. the wall. What the fuck? Uh, and and the, uh, the ghost of Christmas future is just the ghost of his sister, who is an unpleasant, terrible, mean-spirited person. She's just sitting there like, hey, your life sucks. You're a piece of shit. Have fun with that. And that's that's it. That's it. And and uh, oh god, what was the other thing? Just so much of this makes me angry. You see Tiny Tim die because he falls through the ice while going to skate by himself. But you see him like floating in midair in Scrooge's office up on the ceiling, and Scrooge is sitting there watching him drown. And he's just floating there, all creepily. I'm dying. Oh no, I'm Tiny Tim, and I'm dying. And then Tiny Tim's ghost sees Scrooge's future ghost because they're both ghosts for some reason. And after that, Scrooge is like, "No, my life has been terrible. I don't deserve to have redemption. But if I can, if I can save that little boy, then sure, I'll do it." And and so like, okay, boy, save. And so Scrooge runs and throws rocks on the ice so nobody can skate so the kid doesn't die. And he shows up at the Cratchit's house and says, Bob, so sorry. I'm selling the business. Here's a bunch of money. Go accept this other job offer that you mentioned before that you weren't going to take because your wife is mad at you for it because I did that one thing this one time. Uh, have fun. Have a good life. Goodbye. And then on their way out, Mrs. Cratchit's like, this doesn't make up for all the horrible things you did. He's like, I know. I'm going to try to be better. And then he just runs off. And then she looks at the camera and says, it's a start. it's fucking like we've got more work to do like she directly addresses the audience like yeah that's one asshole down here's the rest please tell me she says this please tell me she says this in like the most absurd stage cockney voice ever like it's a start oh boy (laughs) no like it's, it's supposed to be super dramatic she's looking out the window at scrooge walking away and it's like and then she turns and looks straight at the fucking camera and says, we've got more work to do. Musical beat than credits. And that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's, it's three hours of this. And I hate everything. And there's also scenes of the ghost of Christmas present in a weird mystical forest around a giant fire for some reason. And like the talent in this movie, Andy Serkis is in this movie. Guy Pierce would be great as Scrooge in a decent adaptation. Everything about this movie makes me irrationally and furiously angry. I, if I could wipe it from existence, I would do it right now. The only thing this movie does that I liked was dark, spooky atmosphere for the parts that should be dark and spooky. But then everything is dark and sad and gray and rainy and unpleasant. Again, there's no joy. There's no Christmas at all. It has no reason to exist. It is no mirth. It is a slog, and I hate the fact that it. I watched it. Well, and it sounds, I mean, based on your description, I mean, shit, if it wasn't three hours, I'd be like, man, I got to check this out because I like watching bad things and that I can kind of get mad about and, like, laugh about and stuff. Um, you all know this. But, like, not for three hours. And not only is it, oh, like, we're going to do a dark retelling. It sounds actively sadistic. Yeah. 
like it's mean spirited. Everything about it is mean spirited. Wow. Yeah, that does sound terrible. We watched an adaptation recently that wasn't terrible. It it had potential, but I, I feel like the actual execution of it was was a little underwhelming. And that was that new um Apple TV Plus adaptation Spirited with um Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell mm. and Octavia Spencer. I thought it was all right. I don't know. What did you think, Elizabeth? I was mostly bored during the movie. Yeah. At least during the first bit. It it struggled to get where it was wanting to go. And I think by the end, I thought it was cute and fun. I like that it did some different things than many other adaptations of the story. And I love Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. So, I mean, that added a plus to it. Yeah. And I mean, it's a very like loose, loose adaptation. Like the story is like, oh, it's this, I don't know, network company underground thing of ghosts. And they like pick a person every year to like do this too. And they create this whole production and it's like the studio and that allows them to like time travel through time and space and blah, blah, blah. And uh, spoilers. I mean, you find out that actually Will Ferrell was Scrooge, but now he's like, now he's the, now he's one of the ghosts. Now he's, I think that he's the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah, he's, he is. He's the ghost of Christmas present. Um, and so like now he has sort of dedicated his life to being a spirit like the ghost of Christmas present to try and change other people's minds. Ryan Reynolds is like this kind of hedge fund, terrible person, like definitely a modern day Scrooge. Like if, if Scrooge to were, were to exist in our current sort of tech economy um, and social media economy, it would definitely be like Ryan Reynolds character would definitely be emblematic of it. I really liked what they tried to do with it. But yeah, I agree with Elizabeth. It was like, it really struggled to get on its feet. And it was also unnecessarily long. It was over two hours. And it was like, for for being this kind of just goofy, I don't know. It, it was kind of, it was kind of disappointing because I, I wanted to like it. And even while I was watching it, I wanted to like it more than I did, which is not to say I didn't like it at all. I, I thought it was thoroughly middling. Yeah, sorry, Justin. I was just, I was, I, I'm tired of Will Ferrell's shtick. And as I saw the previews for it, and I don't think I want to watch anything about this. It looked like I could tell exactly what sort of movie it was going to be in, yep. from the previews, and I didn't want to watch it. You could. I mean, if you like, you you really could. Uh, I will admit that. I mean, if you watch the preview, like you, if you like, I think I know what this movie is going to be like. It probably is almost exactly that, except for the the. Um, there is a, a part of it that I really like in that, um, which is Octavia Spencer's character, which I guess is, I don't know what her equivalent would be in the actual Christmas Carol. I don't know if she's supposed to be like a Bob Cratchit because she's like Ryan Reynolds' assistant, but she's really great in it. And actually Will Ferrell is good in it. I mean, even if you're, I can definitely understand if someone's like, I'm, stick, I'm sick of Will Ferrell's shtick. This movie is definitely a movie that is good for that shtick though. And, and it does actually have some, very tongue in cheek, like outright, like winking at the camera, dunking on Elf and stuff like that. So it's 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 worth checking out if, if people have the time to to do so. But if if you don't, you're not like missing out. That's fair. Nathaniel, have you seen any other adaptations you want to talk about, or any adaptations that you particularly disliked? Uh, dislike, besides no, Chris, besides Muppets Christmas Carol, which you're wrong about. Okay, so I. <laughs> 
I, I will say immediately after watching that, I did watch the 1938 A Christmas Carol, which I've mentioned a couple of times. It's short. It's an hour and nine minutes long. Oh, okay. Which is which is a good uh good length, I think. It's directed by Edwin L. Marin. It stars Reginald Owen as Ebenezer Scrooge. He's not that great, but it does have Gene Lockhart as Bob Cratchit, and Gene Lockhart is amazing. It also has Leo G. Carroll as Marley's ghost, and Leo G. Carroll is amazing. I like him a lot in this role. It did have it did have a, if possible, a worse ghost of Christmas past than the Muppet Christmas Carol in Anne Rutherford. Uh, so basically, basically, the ghost of Christmas past is a a blonde woman in a 1930s outfit who manages to be more didactic than Dickens was in the actual novella of a Christmas Carol. Uh, that wasn't great. I liked it though. I liked it a lot. They made some changes to the, to, Oh, Oh yeah. Lionel Braman was the, uh, Braham was this, uh, spirit of Christmas present. And he was really, really good in this role. And that was an American uh, production or a British production? MGM, I think. MGM, okay. Yeah, Metro Golden Mare. Originally, like I said earlier, originally it was supposed to be Lionel Barrymore because he he had a thing. Of course, you know Lionel Barrymore from uh, It's a Wonderful Life, right? He plays the old banker, uh, the old businessman in It's a Wonderful Life, Mr. Potter. Oh, like the Scrooge-like character in that one. Yeah, he's Mr. Potter. Before that, he had done every year, I think, on the radio, a version of A Christmas Carol. And he was supposed to star in this, but then he got sick and he wasn't able to. So they got Reginald Owen to do it. And Reginald Owen is, I don't know if he's an old man makeup, but he's certainly he is. an old man. Yeah. And he's in a bald cap and he he walks in a very effective manner. It doesn't work. It really doesn't work that much. Uh, but the rest of the movie I thought was fine. I enjoyed it a lot. It was brisk, and it made me laugh out loud many, many times, which is more than I can say for a Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, well, I do. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely want to check that out now. Um, actually, I'll want to check out a number of these that you know between you and Justin have mentioned. Like I said, I don't, I don't know a ton. Um, and, and obviously, I hate to give Disney more airspace, but uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol, I have fond memories of. I didn't revisit it for this podcast, but I do have fond memories of that. It's pretty so. great. I would say it's one of the more interesting ones for uh, uh, the Ghost of Christmas feature and that it's Pete. So we, we yeah, yeah. Which, which is identifiable because the first thing you see is the cigar under the hood. <laughs> actually in spirited the ghost of christmas future is is pretty great as well it's there's an actor that does the that that plays the um the figure and so it's like a really tall guy and then um tracy morgan does the voice of it but he's never talking like when he's interacting with the people It'll just be like when they're kind of like on set in like you know in the production world and like so it's like this big grim reaper looking guy and then it'll be tracy morgan's voice coming out of him it's pretty fun but yeah, Mickey's Christmas Carol with Pete, I really like as as uh, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Who's the ghost of Christmas past in 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 Christmas? Mickey's Christmas. Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty great too. Yeah. 
Okay, well, should we take a break? And then when we come back, we can do recommendations and dance out. That sounds good to me. Okay. Tim, who did not die. Oh, isn't that swell? <laughs> to Tiny Tim, Scrooge became a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city ever had. <laughs> and it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that truly be said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us. God bless us. Everyone, the love we found, the love we found, we carry with us, so we're never quite alone. The love we found. All right, we are back, y'all. Thank you for joining us today at the Projectionist Lending Library. Uh, again, I'm Eric Klein with my co host here. Nathaniel Booth. Hey, Nathaniel. Hey. And then uh, we were joined today again with uh, Elizabeth Allen. Elizabeth, you want to say hi? Hi. And uh, and our, our good friend, Justin. Uh, Justin, you want to say hi? Give a little plug. Sure. Uh, I'm Justin, and I am the uh, co-host of a podcast called Caging Greatness, where we discuss the films of Nicolas Cage 48.35% of the time. And it it is a fantastic podcast, y'all. I've been listening to it for a long time. I had the pleasure of joining them and talking about Wicker Man, one of the best Nick Cage movies. Um, so definitely do give uh, Cage and Greatness a listen, uh, especially if you're even moderately interested in the enigma of a man that is Nicolas Cage. That's right. So um, before we leave, we always like to end the show with just doing some recommendations, either normally we do, you know, what you've been reading or listening to, or if you've seen anything lately. Um, so if there's anything like that you want to recommend, or because of the nature of our special episode today on Christmas Carol, if there's anything uh, Christmassy you want to recommend, you can go ahead. Nathaniel, you want to, you want to kick us off? Yeah, but I don't have anything Christmassy. Well, I'm okay. I'm, I, I'm a Scrooge. Yeah, so. you know, you've established that. <laughs> There's still time to I, change. <laughs> Someone's get, getting visited by three ghosts tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to, I've only got one thing to recommend tonight or today. And this is um, a book I've been reading. I just finished it actually by a scholar named Quentin J. Brohall. I think that's how you pronounce his name. It's called. Gore Vidal and and Antiquity, Sex, Politics, and Religion. Elizabeth's face. Uh, okay, so people people who are listening to this cannot see Elizabeth's face, but it was the most, <laughs> of course, face that I've ever seen in my life. Um, listeners will know that I do adore Gore Vidal. I, uh, Myra Breckenridge is one of my favorite novels. I, I really love this. I really love this author. This book looks at the way that Vidal uses antiquity, so like Rome and Greece, in order to sort of stage his own ideas of what America should be like and what the modern world should be like in the face of uh, exploding populations and other sort of 20th century 
uh, 20th century problems. It's a great book. It's really well written, and it's it's an essential contribution to a discussion of Gore Vidal. And that's what I've got because that's what I've been reading for fun these days. What about y'all? Yeah, I have three recommendations I'd like to make. One is another adaptation of A Christmas Carol. It's an episode of Doctor Who titled A Christmas Carol. It's it's somewhat a loose adaptation of A Christmas Carol, but it is still fun. It's got flying sharks and fish. It's got Matt Smith as the doctor being very Matt Smith as the doctor. I think it's really fun. Um, another it's a great episode. It's a great episode. Another recommendation I have would be if you're a fan of Christmas and comedy would be the Christmas episode of Schitt's Creek, my favorite television show ever made. I think it's a really good episode of just good fun. So if you're a fan of Schitt's Creek and Christmas, definitely watch that episode this year. Um, And my third recommendation would be a album that just came out by Taylor Swift, Midnight's the 3 a.m. edition. Got to do the 3 a.m. edition. Got to do the 3 a.m. edition. It's got some great poetic, beautiful songs on there. Um, Anti-hero has been stuck in my head for the past week and I'm not mad about it. So check it out. Yeah. Uh, Midnight's too, especially what's that three song run. Is it what anti-hero bejeweled and no, it's bejeweled vigilante shit. Yes. And the one that comes after that, I don't recall. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a great sequence of of songs throughout it and definitely she's moved on from her folklore evermore phase for which saddens me because i loved that period so much but i'm excited for this new one too um, justin what about you do you have anything to recommend christmas oh, sure. oh yeah uh, as far as reading most of my reading is comic books because that's my career but I do every year try to get through the three-part biography of theodore roosevelt by edmund morris it's one of my favorites life and uh, the, the, I forget the titles, but the middle one's Theodore Rex. And then the last one's Colonel Roosevelt, but they're good books. They're good times. As far as watching stuff, uh, I would say there's, there's four Christmas movies that aren't talked about very much. Well, one of them is, and the other three aren't that are some of my favorites. One is it's a wonderful life. That's my favorite movie. And I feel like everyone should watch it. Yes. Because if I ever became the the dictator of the world that would be one of the rules everybody watches it at christmas it's mandatory the other ones are they weren't well received on their initial release but i've always enjoyed them one is called fred claus with vince vaughn and paul giamatti i enjoy that one a lot another one is surviving christmas with ben affleck and james gandolfini i vaguely remember that one yeah i like those both a lot uh and then the lemon drop kid which is a bob hope movie Oh my God, that's such a good movie. Mm-hmm. My DVD oh my copy finally showed up in the mail because my old one it got worn out. So I have a new one now. Makes me oh. happy. Oh, that's such that's such a great movie. I watched that so many times as a kid. It's it's mm-hmm. it's fantastic. I second that recommendation. It's a good time. Uh, but yeah, and also the uh, the Christmas episode of the Justice League Unlimited TV show, the animated show, the Paul uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Tim mm-hmm. version. That Christmas episode is one of my favorite Christmas episodes of any TV show. It's very good. I don't know that I remember that. What happens in that one? 
there are three stories. Uh, Batman and Wonder Woman are busy. They're the uh, Batman's doing uh, a watchtower duty, but Superman takes Martian Manhunter home to the Kent farm for Christmas. Hawk Girl and Green Lantern go off into space, and the Flash is trying to find a toy for a bunch of kids. Oh, it's really good episode. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. It's on HBO Max. It's called Comfort and Joy. Comfort and Joy. Yeah. It's my favorite episode of that whole series, which that whole series was incredible. Uh, but yeah, that's it's a good episode. Okay. Okay. Um, as for myself, I think most of my recs are all going to be Christmassy as well. I'm trying to think if I have anything non-Christmassy. Uh, but, well, I have been, I, I did just get a, a, a poetry collection, Devotions, uh, which is a selected poetry of Mary Oliver. Um, she she's a Pulitzer Prize winning poet. She just passed away, I think, maybe last year. It was twenty in, within the last two years, and and actually, I never really knew her poetry very well when she was alive. But I just kind of came across my radar, and it's really good, beautiful. A lot of it's short, sort of nature poems, and it's been really enjoyable at this hectic time of the semester to be able to just open up a book, read a, a couple like you know, really concise, pretty meditative poems and then go about my business. Um, so that's, um, yeah, Mary Oliver devotions. The other, the other things, as far as Christmas sorts of recommendations, I'm so glad that you said it's a wonderful life, Justin. Um, yes, that is absolutely incredible. I always tell myself I'm not going to cry during it. And sometimes I make it further than others. Um, (laughs) But I can never, the, the furthest I've made is when he gets home and he runs up the stairs mm. and it's like, oh, I almost, I almost got to the end. And then he gets there <laughs> and I just fucking start sobbing. So yeah. it's a wonderful life for sure. As far as a, a Christmas episode of a show I need to recommend, because this is one of my favorite television episodes of, and it's of one of my favorite television shows, but is the very first episode, official episode of The Simpsons, um, The Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire. Um, it's where they get Santa's little helper. You know, uh, Homer, of course, screws up Christmas and blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't have the money to, to do the presents and everything that he wanted. So he thought it would be a great idea in Homer Simpson uh, fashion to bring Bart to the dog races and you know try to get money for oh there's a there's a dog to try to get money for uh, getting some presents and of course he loses it all and uh as they're leaving he's him and bart are in the parking lot and they're just picking up old like old tickets on the ground seeing if they could find a winner and as they do it santa's little helper uh, the 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 greyhound that i think they had bet on and lost and the the owner you know, yells at him and kicks him, tells him to run away, like, get lost, you worthless dog. You're not good for nothing. And Santa's little helper just comes running at him and jumps up in their arms. And so they bring Santa's little helper home for Christmas and the Simpsons are all happy. And, you know, for as cynical of a show as the Simpsons often is, especially for it being its first episode, it's so wholesome and sweet. Um, So yeah, the Simpsons roasting on an open fire. Okay. Enjoy, enjoy these wrecks, y'all. And thank you for joining us again. Thanks again to Justin and Elizabeth. We're going to be signing off for a little bit here. We're going to take a little break, right, Nathaniel? 
yeah, we're going to take a, uh, a month or two off and get our next season in order. When we come back, we're going to be talking about crime fiction, murder mysteries, all sorts of fun stuff like that. Yeah, we're so, going to have a whole season of sort of crime fiction and murder mysteries. Yeah, but I think uh, I have it in good authority. There's going to be some Batman in there as well. So we're going to have some we're gonna have some <laughs> fun with that. <laughs> all right. Well, have a happy holidays, y'all, whatever you celebrate or if you don't celebrate anything at all. Um, I hope that you are able to find warmth and light during these cold and dark months. Before we leave, I just want to say um, to quote Rizzo, thank you for making me a part of this. <laughs> <laughs> again for joining us at the Projectionist Lending Library. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at PLLibPodcast. You can find us on Instagram at PLLPodcast. You can find our Facebook page at the Projectionist Lending Library. And finally, you can email us at projectionistslendinglibrary at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out if you have any feedback, if there's any particular book or adaptation you'd love to have us cover or anything at all. We look forward to hearing from you, and we hope to catch you next time.